You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Lord, it is a tremendous mercy that you give to us your words so that we might know you, that we might know life from your perspective. We pray that you would help us to understand the realities that face us and to live life in a way that honors you, glorifies you. Teach us from the book of Ecclesiastes through your Holy Spirit, we pray this morning, that you would be honored here. Help us to fix our hearts and minds and attentions upon Christ and upon what it means to live before your face, to live in obedience to you and to your commands. Teach us these things that we might glorify you with every day that you give to us and that we might rejoice in the days that you give to us. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I have a question as we begin for those of you who are my age or older or a little bit younger, but my age and older. Did you ever think that you would live to see 40 years old? When you were 15, did you ever live to think you'd see 25? Because when you're 15, 25 seems so far away, doesn't it? When you're 15, 25 is is two-thirds of your life lived over again before you get to 25. And 40 years old? That's twice what you have lived plus two-thirds of what you have already lived all over again added to that. I hope you're following the complex math just to get to 40 years old. And yet when you're 15 years old, you never think that 40 will ever arrive, right? You laugh at it. You think, that'll never happen. 40 years old, I'll never live to see 40. And then suddenly you do. And then you're just like, oh, 40 years old. I never thought I would live to see 40. And I wish I had planned to be 40 when I was 15 or even when I was 25. Because it comes upon you much faster than you might, might like. Certainly much faster than you like, right? In our nation, we have almost an idolatrous, cultic, or cult-like worship at the altar of youth. Have you noticed that? There are some cultures and there are some um, nations and periods of time in the history of humanity when those who are old or aged were revered, they were respected, they were looked up to, and it was not advantageous to be but a youth. It was not advantageous to be young. I have never lived in such a period of time. I've never lived in such a culture. And I don't know when this happened. I was trying to think about, I was trying to pinpoint this. At some point, maybe those of you who are older than I am, can remember this, at some point, was it around the election of John F. Kennedy that all of a sudden youth began to be treasured over age for wisdom's sake? There's some point in the history of our nation, in the history of our, our culture, when those who had, listen, our founding fathers used to dress up in gray hair, right? They used to put the gray wigs on to make them look older, right? You would never do that today. Today we do the polar opposite. Today we take our gray hair and we submerge it in a bath of dye in order to avoid looking like we are old and aged and wise. At some point there was a change, and I don't know when that happened. But in in our culture, we worship at the altar of youth. We take old, aging actors and we watch them act in situations that... Is there anybody on the face of the planet that really believes that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson could really do those things? Is there anybody who believes that? We take the old people and we try and make them look much younger than they actually are. 
and our culture puts before us all of the youthful icons. People who are young. Those are the ones that we see on the commercials. Unless they're trying to sell you a hearing aid or a membership to AARP or um, a prescription that mitigates the effects of aging. Unless they're trying to sell you something like that. They don't put old people... Older people, and I don't mean that in any kind of a pejorative sense. It's, it's sad that even in our culture, when I talk of old people, I have to say, look, I'm not trying to down or diss you old people, because we ought to be revering those who are aged and honoring them and discouraging and disparaging the, the youth among us. And, but instead, in our culture, we think youth is where it's at. Those are the wise ones. Watch the sitcoms that play out in front of you. Who is it that's always the wise one on the sitcom? It's the 14 or 15-year-old who has to teach that life lesson to their adult parent, right? And the parents, they're the idiots. They're the, the relics of a, of a bygone era. That is our culture, worshiping at the altar of youth and denying age and denigrating age. According to the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, did you even know such a society existed? The American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, plastic surgeons perform 10 million cosmetic procedures a year in our country almost none of which are medically necessary. We in our nation spend billions of dollars trying to look young, to stay young, to appear young, to act young, and to convince ourselves that we're really not growing old. The passage that is before us in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is a passage that has some words of wisdom for you no matter what stage of life you are at. Whether you are young or whether you are old, there is wisdom here from Solomon. And I want you to remember that when Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, he is not writing as a young man. This is Solomon the aged. This is Solomon the cynic. This is at the end of his life. He has gone through youth. He knows what it means to live as a young child. He has gone through young adulthood. He has gone through manhood. He has gone, he has gone through that period of time when all of the the effects of your youth start to haunt you in your old age. He's gone through that period of time when all the vitalities and the benefits of being young seem to become less and less with each passing day and old age starts to creep in. And now Solomon, toward the end of his life, is writing as one who has experienced every single stage of life. And there is, in these final chapters of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, brutally honest description of youth and of aging and of old age and eventually of death. These are honest words. Solomon doesn't sugarcoat anything for us. He's going to describe youth. He's going to describe old age. He's going to describe the process of growing old, the, the detriment of growing old, some of the darknesses of growing old, and he has some wisdom for us. So we're going to be looking today at verses 7 through the end of the chapter, and we are going to get through uh, the rest of chapter 11 today. There is a structure here in these verses that sort of starts to appear as you pay attention to the, the commands that are in the passage. And fortunately for us, this becomes a very preachable outline. All of the commands, or the most of the commands, start with the letter R. And I want you to just notice the structure. We're going to read through verses 7 through 10 together. And I want, you, I want to point out the structure of the passage and, and the commands that are here. And so then you'll start to see this sort of appear before your eyes. Verse 7, the light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. In verses 7 to 8, there is a rejoicing in verse 8, and there is a remembering in verse 8. So rejoice, remember, look at verse 9, rejoice young man during your childhood. Verses 7 and 8 are really addressed to those who are older, right? You live many years. Verse 9 is addressed to the young man. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. 
and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. And though he doesn't use the word remember in verse at the end of verse 9, there is something to remember there. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. That's what you're to remember. Rejoice, remember, rejoice, remember. Look at verse 10. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Rejoice, remember, rejoice, remember, remove. And the next remember is chapter 12, verse 1 which it's unfortunate that the chapter division is there. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. So we're to rejoice and remember something, rejoice and remember something, remove something, and then remember. So you see that structure? We're not going to get into chapter 12 today. We're just going to look at the rejoicing and remembering addressed to the young men in verses 7, and, or the old men, older men in verses 7 and 8, the younger men in verses 9 and 10, and what it is that we are to remove. And then next week we'll look at what it means to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. So that's the structure. Rejoice and remember. Now, first thing addressed to the older men in verses 7 and 8 is that we are to rejoice in the length of our days, rejoice in the length of our days while we remember the dark days that are ahead. Look at verse 7 again. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Now, verse 7, for the book of Ecclesiastes seems quite out of place, does it not? You're quite used to me getting up here and, and just discouraging you to the point of utter despair and depression each and every Sunday. And that we leave here with barely anything to cling on to for the week ahead, right? And, and that's Ecclesiastes. But then you get to verse 7, and Solomon says in verse 7, the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Now that's an encouraging verse. That's a positive verse. And it seems quite out of place in the book of Ecclesiastes especially in the context of reading those words, the sun. Because all the way through Ecclesiastes, the sun has been associated with what? Hard work, toil, vexation, disaster, right? Living life under the sun, the vanity, the emptiness, the futility of life, it's all under the sun. So that's what we get used to hearing all the way through Ecclesiastes. Every time we read about life under the sun, it is that godless perspective that leads to a certain despair, an absolute despair. It is a, a godless perspective that leads to a hopelessness. It's, it's life as it is just a on a horizontal plane without any kind of a vertical element, without God's perspective on it. That's life under the sun. But here Solomon says in verse 7, it is the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. So here is a, a positive verse about something good, a, a positive verse regarding something good about the sun. What is it good? What is good about the sun? It's good to see it, isn't it? When you wake up each morning, you... It's nice to open up the curtains and let that sun hit your face. It's good to see that you got another day on terra firma and the sun is out and you get to enjoy it. And you, you, like the old man in the poem once said, I wake up each morning and gather my wits. I pick up the paper and read the obits. If my name is not there, then I know I'm not dead. So I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. It's good to wake up every morning and see the sun and delight in it. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, right? That's what Solomon is describing. Each and every day, it's another blessing. You wake up, you see the sun, the light is pleasant. The sun hits your face and it feels so good. And it feels so good to be alive, doesn't it? There's a certain element of positivity that he's describing there. There is something good about being alive and enjoying the sun. Verse 8, if you should live many years. He's describing in verse 7 the days that you live. Each and every day you get up and you see the sun. You get another day on this earth. Something to rejoice in. Something to be thankful for. You get to enjoy that. Now, if it should be that a man should live many years, he's describing here a certain length of days. You get, to, you get to enjoy a lot of days under the sun. That is what God's gift to you is. What does Solomon say? Rejoice in them all. Rejoice in some of them. Rejoice in them all. 
Every day that God gives you, no matter how many it is, no matter how long the days are that He gives to you, rejoice in them all. There is something, there is something about every stage of life and every age that we live through in which we can rejoice. There's something about it that is rejoice-worthy, if you will. Oftentimes, we, we live life always longing for or pining for the next stage, and we never get to enjoy the stage that we're in. Right? When you're young, you think, man, if I could only grow up and get older and be able to drive. And then you're able to drive, and you get a license, and you think, if only I could move out of my house. And then you move out of the house, if only I could be married. And then you get married, if only we had kids. And then you get kids, if only my kids were older, and I could sleep at night. And then your kids get older, you can sleep at night, then they become teenagers, and you're not sleeping as much at night. And if only, if only these these kids would move out of my house, and then I would have money. Some of you, us, are at that stage. We're thinking to ourselves, if only we could have that next stage of life, and then the kids move out of the house, and think, if only the grandchildren would come and visit me more often, or if only the kids and the grandkids lived closer so that I could enjoy them more. And then we find out that they don't live that close, and we can't enjoy them more, and everything has gone on, and then we look back on our life and realize there was never a period of time in which I rejoiced in any of it. Right? Every, everything, that I've, everything that I've lived for, everything that I've looked forward to has come and it's passed. Every stage of life and every era of life has things that are difficult, burdens that we bear in them, and there are also things about them in which we can rejoice. Solomon says, if you live life and you live many days under the sun, rejoice in them all. Find that thing about whatever stage you are at in this life and find that which is praiseworthy, rejoice-worthy, and rejoice in it. Notice that Solomon is describing here an attitude of the heart, an attitude of the mind. Um, there are things about every era of life, every period of life in which we are in that are difficult. That's true. We, we can't deny that. Solomon has not denied that all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Brutally honest about all of it. But then he says you, you must rejoice in all of the days that God has given to you. It's sometimes more difficult to rejoice when we are older and we deal with the difficulties that he describes, which we'll look at later in chapter 12, next week in chapter 12. We deal with those difficulties of old age and we think, man, I can't rejoice in this period of time. We can rejoice in this period of time. I would say if you are older, you have something that to rejoice in that not everybody gets to rejoice in. Everybody experiences youth. Not everybody experiences old age. You know how many out of the mass of humanity have never enjoyed old age? Because they're cut down and they die in what we call the prime of life, and it is fleeting. And before they ever experience what it means to have length of days, they are cut down in the middle of the strength of their days, and they never get to experience old age. They never experience what you've gotten to experience. They never get to see their kids grow up. They never get to see their grandkids. They never get to see their grandkids grow up. Those are things that are worthy of rejoicing in, even in your old age. So if you should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And then there is something here that you and I should remember. We are to remember that the days of darkness are coming. That's what verse 8 says. Let him remember the days of darkness. So we rejoice in the length of our days, however many it is that God has given to us. We remember that the days of darkness are coming. What are the days of darkness? This has been understood two different ways. Both of them are possible in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I think one of these is preferable. First of all, it's possible that by dark days or the dark, uh, days of darkness, Solomon is talking about the times or the period of life at the end of life when things are not as bright and happy and cheerful and great as they are at the beginning of life. In other words, this would be old age when, when as Solomon describes later on, uh, nothing is working as it should, the pain is there constantly, and we're dealing with all of the difficulties that old age brings. He's honest about that in chapter 12. That could be what Solomon means by days of darkness. Or by days of darkness, Solomon might be referring to the days after your death. And in keeping with the context, I think that Solomon is describing the days of your death here. 
And here's why I would say that. When he talks about the light being pleasant and the eyes seeing the sun, he's describing life. He's describing length of days and each and every day that you get. When he describes darkness, he is describing that period of time after you die, there are days of darkness. Right? There are days when you will lie in the ground in a tomb and it will be dark days. And Solomon is not commenting here on what is to happen in the afterlife or the reality of the afterlife for any of us. He's not describing that. He's simply describing the days of darkness as that day after, after you die, that period of time, and those days will be many. There's going to be a lot of days of darkness for you. To, to illustrate this, we would say this. Solomon has been dead longer than he was ever alive, right? The days of darkness for Solomon were longer than the days of light. And I think that that's what he is saying. He's saying, once you die, there are going to be lots of days of darkness. So we are to rejoice in all of the days that God has given to us. Why? Because the days of darkness are coming, and there will be lots of them. And so we ought to live in light of the reality of our coming death. He describes at the beginning of chapter 12 the death that is to come. Is that not? Oh, no, it's not the beginning of chapter 12. It's verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. He is describing irreparable damage and destruction there. These are all symbols for death. And verse chapter 12 deals with the, the process of growing old and what happens and what is to come and the realities of it. And then in verse 6 and 7 and 8, he describes that crushing reality of death. That is what awaits all of us. Every person in here, that awaits all of us. That we are going to die. We are to live our lives and rejoice in them, rejoicing in the length of our days, however many they may be, knowing that with certainty, death is going to come. We ought to live life in light of death. That is what I actually think that is a good approach to living life. Live life in light of the fact that you are going to die. So if you are an old person, look, rejoice in the days that God has given to you on the face of the planet. If, if He has blessed you with many days, rejoice in that. Millions upon millions of people there are a million, there are 250,000 people that die each and every day. You know how many of them die in youth? That never get to enjoy the things that you get to enjoy? You say, what's enjoyable about getting up and, and walking with a limp? And what's enjoyable about a trick hip and a trick knee and arthritis? And what is enjoy Those are the realities of age. They do exist. But listen, there's a lot of things about being old that you can rejoice in. I say this, obviously, as somebody who deals with certain physical limitations, but I don't deal with the chronic pain that some of you have to endure. But still, there are aspects of every stage of life in which we can rejoice. And that's Solomon's point. The days of darkness could mean the days when we are old and don't enjoy things as we once did. I think that they mean death. Death is coming, so rejoice in the length of your days. As Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day which the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That, I think, is a biblical attitude. Whether you're 15 or 50 or 105, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Doesn't matter what that day brings, or doesn't matter what happens during that day. There is something praiseworthy or rejoiceworthy in that day, and should we, and we therefore should rejoice in it. Because Solomon says at the end of verse eight, everything that is to come will be futility, and I believe that he is describing there what comes during those days of darkness after you die. In other words, he's saying rejoice because death is coming, and everything that's to come after that, when you die, all of it is going to be futility. And he's just simply reminding us of what he has said previously. Once you die, everything you have done, everything you have made, everything you have accomplished, everything you have built, everything that you are will be buried by the sands of time and will be not remembered at all by future generations. You're going to pass from this earth into the days of darkness, and you and everything you have done will eventually be forgotten. Cheerful, isn't it? Isn't that great to hear that, be reminded of that? Those days of futility, when everything that you have becomes nothing, those days of darkness, there will be many. So 
rejoice today. Why? Because you have today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Live your life in light of your coming death, understanding that eventually all of it turns to nothing. That, I, that is a motive not for being crippled or paralyzed by fear or by frustration or anxiety. It is a motive for ambitious and bold living in the present for the glory of God. He's not describing a life that we just, we just go bent on doing whatever we want, like Frank, Frank Sinatra, doing it our way and living the best of our ability for ourselves. He is again describing here a life lived before the face of God. He wants us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. He wants us to fear God and to keep His commandments because this is the whole duty of man. Knowing that there is a judgment to come, knowing that there is a death to come, living before the face of God is not a paralyzed, fear-filled, anxiety life where we do nothing. It's bold living where we live the life that God has given to us, the, the best of our ability to the fullness of all that we can for His glory and for His sake. So therefore we rejoice. Now look at the rejoicing and remembering that is addressed to the young men. Verse 9, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. He's describing here youth again, and a lot of this passage is about youth, including chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. This is Solomon the aged now speaking to young men. He has already addressed it to, to older folks, to the aged, and he said, Rejoice in the length of your days. Now to the young men, rejoice in the strength of your days, in your young manhood, in your childhood. Rejoice in those, and there is something that you should remember too, young person. And it is that God will most certainly bring you to judgment for these things. That's encouraging, isn't it? Now we get to that in just a second. But what does it mean for a young person to rejoice uh, in the strength of their days? There are certain aspects of being young that, that are a benefit to us, a blessing to us, that start to wane as old age begins to set in. Now, I don't expect any young person here to be paying attention to this because I never paid attention to this. When people told me, your youth will pass and eventually all of the things that you're doing now are going to come back to haunt you when you're older. Right? You shouldn't jump off the roof. You shouldn't jump out of the tree. You shouldn't jump out of moving vehicles. All of these things will come back to haunt you. And I used to say to myself, what? What, when I'm old, like 40 or something, then all of this stuff's going to come back to haunt me? No, I'm Superman. I'm invincible, right? I could sprain my ankle to the point where I couldn't even walk on it one day. Two days later, I'm up running, riding a bike, jumping off of roofs again. Because when we're young, we heal like that. When, when we're young, we feel invincible. Like we will never die, we'll never age, we'll never have to pay the piper. And then what we realize once we get older is when we were younger, all of those, all of the, all the stuff that we have to pay for when we're younger, we pay for when we get older. It's not that those things didn't hurt or that those things didn't afflict us. It's that it waited 20 or 25 years before it starts to afflict us. That's all. The body was just saying, in the come a time. Come a time and you're going to pay for that. You're going to remember that. And you're going to say to yourself, I wish I had listened to the old people who told me not to live like I'm going to live forever because I'm not going to live forever. And now, quite frankly, like some of you, I'm glad I'm not going to live forever because I don't want to live in this body forever. So we rejoice in the strength of our days when we are young. There are certain things that being young allows us to do that being old does not allow us to do. You can, it's better to make a poor investment when you're 22 than when you're 82. Right? You lose half of your, half of your retirement when you're 22. Unless you had a sugar daddy who left you a million dollars, that's really no big deal, right? Half of my retirement when I was 22 was enough to buy coffee and maybe a meal out if I could afford that. But when you do that when you're 82 and you lose half your retirement, you can't recover from that. When you're young, physically, you can recover from certain things. Emotionally, you can recover from certain things. You can go a wrong direction. You can make a bad decision. You can make an unwise decision. And this is not to encourage any of those decisions. But you have time to recover afterwards. And when you're young, your recovery physically and mentally and emotionally is entirely different and entirely quicker than it is when you're older. 
And so we can rejoice when we are young in the strength of our days, in our childhood, in our manhood, and to enjoy that and to not long or pine for a day when all of the youth has passed away and we can finally be older and want something more. And yet, contrary to Solomon's advice, this is exactly how most of us live our lives. Always wanting to be older so that we can enjoy something that we can't enjoy now. And then once we are older, we wish we were younger so we can enjoy something that we can't enjoy now. Right? And Solomon's advice to the young and to the old is, enjoy what you can enjoy, why you can enjoy it, because life is fleeting. The prime of life is fleeting. It's all passing. You're going to die. And so when Solomon says in verse 9, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, what is he describing there? There's some people who, who read that and they think that Solomon is advocating a flesh, fleshly, carnal, sinful indulgence in life. Whatever your eye wants, go after it. If it's a younger girl, pursue her. If it's this licentious activity, do it. Whatever your heart desires, no matter how wicked or corrupt, that is what you should pursue. That is what you should indulge. That's not what Solomon is saying. You understand that there are things that our eyes desire and impulses of our heart that are not sinful. That's what Solomon is advocating because in this whole passage, he is, he is telling us to live this way knowing that we are living before the face of God, that there is a judgment to come. And that next phrase, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things, that is intended to add a, a temperament to what it is that we, the, the impulses and the desires that we indulge or that we pursue. So when Solomon says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, he's not saying, look, if you find something sinful to do it, just go out and do it. That's not what he's saying. He would be saying something like this. Young man, rejoice in the strength of your days. You have an opportunity to start a business? Start a business. You, you want to go somewhere and, and travel? Travel. Do you want to give, earn, save, do good, do a charitable work? Do it. it it's the same sort of carpe diem, seize the day mentality that characterized the first six verses. Cast your bread upon the waters. Divide your portion to seven or even eight. Sow in the morning, sow in the evening. Be active all day long. Why? Live life and live life boldly. You have impulses or desires that you have as a young man. You have an opportunity to, to seize an opportunity or an opportunity to do something great, then go do it. Don't watch the wind. Don't watch the clouds and use it as an excuse to do nothing. Don't live your whole life twiddling your thumbs, inactive, paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by the vanity and the, and the vexation of all of life. Live life to the glory of God before the face of God. And here's what tempers it. No young man that God will most certainly bring you to, and there is an article there, the judgment for all of these things. This is what sort of puts it all into perspective. We are to live our lives for the glory of God, aware of our death, for those of you who are older, and for those of you who are younger, actually. And we are to live our lives for the glory of God, before the face of God, aware of the judgment that is to come. Know most certainly that God will bring you to judgment for this. That tempers the advice. That tells me that Solomon is not here advocating any kind of a fleshly or sinful indulgence or just pursuing life, whatever it is. We are to be aware in every opportunity that we seize and in everything that we do that there is a judgment to come. And that will make us pursue wisdom. That will make us long for wisdom. It will make us want to do something that honors God and glorifies Him rather than something that would defame His name or uh, something sinful for which we would have to give an account. So the advice to the young men, rejoice in the strength of your days, follow the impulses of your heart, live life and live life boldly, but be aware there is a judgment to come. There is most certainly a judgment to come. So live life in light of that. Do all of these things in light of that judgment. Know most certainly that God will bring you to the judgment for this. So Solomon is not in this context talking about a sinful indulgence. He's talking about a God-centered, theocentric approach to life that lives life boldly, aware of our death, aware of the judgment to come. Now look at verse 10. So 
Remove grief and anger. Now here's the remove. So we've talked about rejoicing and remembering, rejoicing and remembering, and now remove verse seven or verse ten. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. No, there is a notice there is an emotional or psychological aspect to this, your heart, and there is a physical aspect to this, your body. Remove grief and anger from your heart. And the word grief there is the word that is that is sometimes in, in Ecclesiastes translated as pain or anxiety or vexation. It's a word that Solomon has used earlier in the book, a word that we're familiar with. We are to remove grief and anger from your heart. That is, we are to approach life with a certain, we are to have a certain approach to life in an emotional context that, that doesn't want to let anger and grief and the vexation of life take deep root into our hearts. We, we would say you, you don't want to let a root of bitterness start up in your heart. There is a pattern that you can see, I think, in life and in some people where they start off really joyful and carefree, and cheerful in life, and everything is great. And then certain things happen in life that tend to create a degree of cynicism and skepticism. And by the time somebody's 40 or 45 years old or 50 years old, you think that they're, they're in the running for the church curmudgeon award. And it is they hate life, they hate everything, they're bitter, they're angry, they're resentful, they're vexed in life, they're just dealt with emotional pain and they haven't gotten over that. They have never dealt with it rightly before God. They've never understood God's purposes in it. And so there's just a bitterness deep down inside of them that makes them unable to rejoice in anything. Solomon, I think, toward the end of his life, was such a man. He was given a kingdom. That didn't satisfy him. So he took all of the wealth and the opportunity that that kingdom provided, and he used it to try and satisfy his every lust and craving. He, He built everything he could build. He acquired everything he could acquire. He had everything he could possibly want. He found that wisdom was not the answer, that knowledge was not the answer, that possessions was not the answer, that children were not the answer, women was not, were not the answer, song and wine and all of the lust of the flesh, none of it satisfied, none of it was the answer. In fact, he came to realize that all of it eventually would be buried, all of it was useless. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. He's the ultimate church curmudgeon. He's the ultimate, the ultimate one sitting there bitter and resentful. And now here's the advice to us. Put that bitterness and that vexation and that anger away from your heart because you cannot rejoice before God. You cannot rejoice in either the length of your days or the strength of your days if inside you are vexed and angry over everything. So living in a vain world can create cynicism. Cynicism keeps us from rejoicing in the days that God has given to us. So if you're going to rejoice in the days that God has given to you, put away the grief and the anger. Deal with those issues. It may be repentance that is necessary. It may be God's perspective that is necessary. It may be salvation for you that is necessary. It might be that you just have to go to war against the sin of bitterness, and the sin of anger, the sin of grief. You have to wage war against that. And if that's what you have to do in order to rejoice in the days that God has given to you, then do it. You remove those things from your, from your heart, from the emotional aspect of you. And then verse 10, put away pain from your body. This has been taken, this verse has been taken, and I think rightly so, as a biblical encouragement to try to mitigate the effects of pain in our old age. Solomon is certainly saying if, if you have a means or a way by which you can prevent pain in your body, do it. If you have a means or a way by which you can take pain away from your body, do it. Um, the verse can be understood to refer to avoiding pain in your body. In other words, this would be instruction to young people. Don't do something stupid that you're going to have to pay for later. Don't do something physical now that is going to cause you pain when you are 20 or 30 or 40 years older than you are right now. Put away pain from your body. 
be, be mindful that you, are, you may be blessed with length of days, so use them accordingly. Or it could be referring to just the act of using medic, medication or surgery or treatment or therapy in some way in order to mitigate pain. I think that there is something, there is an element of wisdom whereby if we have, if we have the ability to remove pain from our bodies, we should. There are people who just simply say, you know what, I live with this pain, and I would never take ibuprofen, I would never have this thing done, because I'm just happy to live with this pain, I'm just going to deal with it. There's nothing spiritual about living with unnecessary pain. Nothing spiritual about that. There's nothing about enduring pain that makes life less vain. And so this would just be Solomon saying, if you have the opportunity in in a God-ordained or a a God-glorifying way to remove pain from your body, take that opportunity. That's wisdom, right? If you're just going to suffer with pain, that doesn't make you more spiritual than anybody else. I would argue it makes you more foolish than other people. Now, there is a sense, and I have to be aware, that there are people who live with chronic pain and there is nothing you can do to remove that pain. I don't envy you one bit for that. And some people, even here amongst us, live with chronic pain and weakness in areas that there is nothing medically that can be done, nothing physically that can be done. And in that situation, we have to pray for them, we have to encourage them, and and that is the suffering that God has allowed in that situation. And we have to see that for what it is, that sometimes there's nothing that can be done, in which case we don't do anything. But if you can do something... Solomon says, put away pain from your body. Why? So that you can enjoy life and rejoice in the days that God has given to you. Because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. And the word fleeting there is the same word that is translated vanity throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Habel is the word. It it refers to something that is empty or meaningless, something that is useless and, and full of futility. It also refers to something like a spirit or a vapor that passes away quickly. And in that sense, it's how it's used here in this time. The, the prime of life is fleeting. It passes away quickly. You're young now, but before you know it, you'll be older. Before you know it, you'll be old. Then before you know it, you'll be dead. And and it goes quickly, just like that. The prime of life is fleeting. And the word prime of life, it's kind of an interesting poetic way of describing the prime of life. The word translated prime of life just means blackness. And it was used to refer to the blackness of one's hair. That's fleeting. That's the youth. The the blackness of one's hair is fleeting. You, You wake up one morning, you look in the mirror, and you say, wait a second. That wasn't there two days ago when I looked in the mirror, or yesterday when I looked in the mirror. That hair is not the right color. You had that experience? That hair's not... Oh, there's a bunch of hairs on the side of my head that are not the right color. Look at that. And it's fleeting, and it goes by just like that. There's a reason I don't grow facial hair. It's because although my facial hair is thicker than my head hair, it has not decided to be the same color as my head hair. Comes in a different color, and I don't like to stare at that every morning in the mirror. So I just don't grow. Fa- it's easier for me to cut it off and deny that it would exist than it is to have to live with its existence and to realize that the blackness is fleeting and it's fleeting quickly. So that's Solomon's counsel: Rejoice, old man, in the length of your days, knowing that death is coming. Rejoice, young man, in the strength of your days, knowing the judgment is coming. And remove all of us from our bodies and our hearts the pain, the vexation, the anguish, and the anger that keeps us from rejoicing either in the length or in the strength of our days. And there is something that all of us should remember, particularly the young person, and that's chapter 12, verse 1. We are to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. We will save that for next week, what that means. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that all of our days are written in a book before there was yet one of them. And we know that you have appointed all things for us the joys and delights of youth and the afflictions that accompany old age as well. 
We're thankful that you teach your people, those who are yours, through all of these things. You sanctify us by all of the afflictions that you appoint for us. You sanctify us through our, our bodily pains and discomforts. You sanctify us through the mistakes that we make. Everything that we do is used by you for ultimately for our good and for your glory, and we are thankful for that. We pray that you would teach us and instruct us through your word what it means to live our lives for your glory before your face, aware of our death, which is certainly to come, aware of the judgment, which is most certainly to come, and to remember you in the days that we have and to rejoice in all of them before you. We want you to be glorified by every day that we live so that you might be honored, so that we might be rewarded, so that Christ might be glorified. And we ask that you would accomplish these things through us, through your church, for the glory of your great name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.